Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I know it is Friday the 13th, but I'm telling you, this is going to be a good day. Don't buy into any of that kind of superstition. It is going to be a good day for me personally. It is all gravy from here. I am having a great morning. I was just telling Jane Matinera this story. All right, I, I have this this little dog that I just I, I love. Um, had her for about oh, she's going to be two in May, and she sleeps in the same room I sleep in. She's she's in a uh, in a in a pen, a little like a like, sort of like a playpen and stuff. And and when I put her down to go to sleep, she she goes to sleep right away. The only thing is, she wakes up every morning between 2.30 and 3 in the morning. And I know I am a bad dog owner. I understand this is like kids when they cry, you just have to let them cry. But but here is the reality of it. She will wake up. If I take her out, it is a, a, a five-minute process. She goes, she does her thing, she comes back, she goes back to sleep. If I leave her in the, the playpen and don't give her any attention, it's 30 minutes. So it's the course of least resistance. Now, I acknowledge it's a little bit more difficult when it's 7 degrees outside than when it's 77 degrees outside because you got to put on a coat and stuff. But but that's what I do. Plus, I will be honest, you know, if I wake up in the middle of the night and i got to pee, I, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I want to get up and do it. So I, I'm trying to be the good dog owner. But the, rea- the reality is I, I don't think I have had more than – two or three hours of consecutive sleep since I do not know when, you know, and and, and it just, so that's just, if you wonder why I'm always irritable, that might be one of the reasons. So, all right, last night, sitting at home, I, we spent the evening in, um, I put her down to go to sleep about 1130, I go to sleep. Next thing I know, I wake up, it's five in the morning. It's five in the morning. She slept through the night. Matter of fact, she's not even awake yet. And I'm, I'm, then I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, is there something wrong? Should I kind of look into this? But there is a reason why they say let, let sleeping dogs lie. So it, I get ready for work. I have had like five hours of consecutive sleep for the first time, well, <laughs> maybe in a year and a half. So like I say, I understand it's Friday the 13th, but you know what? Everything after this is just all all gravy. I feel refreshed. Packers are playing on Sunday. I'm wearing my Jerry Kramer jersey. You can see this when we Facebook go Facebook Live on our weekend review with Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson at 11:35 this morning. Ah, it's going to be a good day. Glad to have you with us. Let's get started as we do every day. Three big things. First of all, Paul Ryan, Congressman Paul Ryan in the news, creating a bit of controversy, maybe. During the political campaign, we all know that President-elect Trump, he got a lot of attention early on by saying there are 11 million people in this country illegally. We are going to deport them. Now, he's backed off that a little bit, a little bit, by saying that he wants to concentrate on those who are criminals. But he's still all about, let's build the wall. We're going to figure, we're gonna, I know Mexico says they're not going to pay, but they, trust me, they, they will pay, and we are going to start deporting people. I have always had issues with that. And if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm, you know, I, I come from a background as a former federal prosecutor. I understand the limitations of the, the justice system. We only have X amount of immigration prosecutors. We only have X amount of immigration judges. And frankly, I don't understand how physically you would be able to deport 11 million people. I also question whether or not that's the best use of resources. But President-elect Trump has said, no, I'm, I'm, I am not backing off on this. And the argument is, what part of, of illegal don't you understand? Well, yesterday, Congressman Paul Ryan is at this town hall-style meeting on, of all people, places, CNN in, in Washington. And a woman 
um, stands up and says, hey, that she came to the United States at the age of 11. You know, she's been in the country since then, and she says, um, you know, do you think I should be deported? And Paul Ryan looks at her and says, look, I, I can see that you're, you know, you love, the, she's there with her kid. I can see that you love your daughter. You're a nice person who has a great future ahead of you, and I hope your future's here. At which point in time, you know, one of the CNN moderators says to Paul Ryan, well, you know, uh, Donald Trump has promised to create a, a deportation task force to go after people who are not legally in this country. And Paul Ryan then says, I know, I know, but I'm here to tell you in Congress it's not happening. So this is about as clear an indication as you could possibly get, because it's coming from the Speaker of the House of Representatives, that this idea of a deportation task force to go after the entire body of people who are here illegally, Paul Ryan says it's not happening. I want to open up the phone lines. Big story number one, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Paul Ryan says the deportation task force that Donald Trump has talked about at various times is not going to happen in Congress. Is there going to be backlash? Is Ryan right? Will this cause, I don't know, conservatives to lose trust to Paul Ryan? Or is Paul Ryan exactly right in saying, look, we've got other things we need to concentrate on. We've got other priorities. Paul Ryan says no to a deportation task force, as at least originally proposed by President-elect Trump. Is Paul Ryan right? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Or are you disappointed to hear him talk like this? We discuss next. 841 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 844 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Paul Ryan doing a town hall in Washington, D.C. A woman who came into this country illegally when she was 11 years old stands up and says, Donald Trump is talking about, you know, deporting people like me. She's apparently there with her daughter, who I assume was born in the U.S., which means the daughter's a citizen. Mom is not. Paul Ryan says, look, I I don't care what President-elect Trump has said. We are not, Congress is not going to be forming deportation task forces at this point in time to go after people like you. 414-799-1620. Is Ryan right or wrong? Let's start with George in Shorewood. George, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Ryan is right. I think he's had these uh, discussions with the President-elect. It's more about the constitutionality of uh, the executive overreach that has been done by the Obama administration has to be addressed. That's why Trump has been so adamant about the legality. But I give him enough, uh, I give him enough credit to think, and he's even said on the campaign trail after backing off, that he wants to deport the, the criminals. Right, and that's going to take a that's going to take a year to two years. Oh, at least. So let's give the you know let's give the president elect a chance. He's not even the president yet, and people are are jumping all over him. I think uh, I think that's wrong. And I think, do, do you think uh, conservatives will feel betrayed if he does backpedal on on what we'll call the deportation task forces? If that's not a priority? No, because I think he'll be able to work with Congress and Ryan and and figure something out so that these people will be here legally once they amend the Constitution and get rid of the executive order, which is unconstitutional, by the way. Got it. Thanks for call. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. All right, is this going to be a betrayal of 
people who voted for Donald Trump, is this going to cause a huge rift between Trump and Congress? Uh, let's start. Let's talk to Dan in Oconomowoc. Dan, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, my hope is that they can find a way to let these people leave uh, the right way, which is uh, go back to their country, come back legally, do all of those things. And I know that someone that's been here since they're 11 years old was brought in uh, a different way. They're, they right. came here for the dream, all right? And I understand that. But at the end of the day, we still have, for the last 31 years, we've had nothing but an open border policy mm-hmm. and no enforcement at all. And this current president and even Bush uh, both did not enforce the, the rules and the laws the way that they need to. So um, I think there's other ways to get people to leave, which is stop giving them handouts, stop giving them free education, stop giving them, um, you know, medical stuff. Just I think it's the, I think it was a Pew Research study just sure. came out. But let me it ask you. Kind of, but let me ask you this though. Sure. Uh, let, let's imagine you have a situation where you. Ha- I I don't know how old this woman was, but let's assume for the let's say she's 30 years old. So she's yeah. been in this country 20 years. Um, she, she's got a child. The child is now a, a U.S. citizen because the child was born in the United States. She's been yep. here, you know, since she's 11. She's working. You know, she's not a criminal. She's, you know, self-sufficient. Um, maybe, you know, what, whatever. What do does the, does does our society gain anything by saying you've got to leave the country? In that in that particular instance, no. I, I would love to to have her. I would love her. To, She's assimilated. She's become right. part of the dream. Right. And and what we have today is we, we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you know that. Sure. And the cost for me as a taxpayer, the state of Wisconsin, $618 million a year is what it's costing us as taxpayers to support people from outside, uh, people that are coming here illegally. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they're all good or they're all bad. That doesn't matter. What matters is um, that $618 million could go to veterans. It could go to building better schools. It could go to be building better roads, which is obviously a big topic in Wisconsin right. yeah, sure. today. So I just want to find a way to do it. And I don't think kicking you know, everybody out, if they've come here and they've committed and they've built a business or they're, you know, they've, they've right. established something, I think we need to find a way to do that. And me as a conservative... I'm open to that. Right, see, and that's I think the that's problem. the common... No, I, just, I mean, thanks. See, I understand what you're saying, Dan, and, and the, I think the, 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 the situation here is I think we have to find common sense alternatives because, you know, you, you talk about the cost of illegal immigration, and, and that's the point. There's also a cost, though, to to taking, again, the person that's been in this country 20 years that is productive, that has those ties, there is a cost that's going to be associated with trying to toss them them out. And and that's kind of the balancing. Now, here's where I think we would all agree. And and this is, if I were President-elect Trump, and this is, this is, my would be my approach because, like I say, there there is a reality. I've been arguing for the longest time that if you were seriously going to try to identify and throw out everybody that's come into this country illegally over the last twenty or thirty years, you're, you're going to be talking about an incredible expenditure of resources. You're going to have to. I mean, you're going to have to hire Lord knows how many immigration officers and attorneys, and you're going to have to figure out the logistics of doing this. There's going to be a huge cost. I think the one thing that all of us conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat should be able to agree on is the percentage of people that are in this country illegally who are causing 
problems, who are undesirable, and you can de- you can define that however you want, whether it's you know criminal records or whatever. That's where it seems to me you start the emphasis. Let's say of that 11 million, there's 2 million that fit into that category. I, maybe there's a million, maybe there's 3 million, maybe there's 500, whatever. The people who are causing problems, the criminal element, and again, you can define it however you want. That's where I think you concentrate your resources. And in all honesty, I think by focusing on that group of people, that's going to take a couple years to begin with. (laughs) And while you're doing that, you have to figure out how to shut off the, the border. You have to stop the flow of people coming into this country illegally. So if it were me, my priorities would be, and I think this is kind of the message I'm getting from Paul Ryan, it's, look, we're, we're not, at this point in time, we're not going to be going out and trying to round up people who've been in this country for decades, aren't causing issues. You know, we're, we're going to focus on, all right, again, the, the people who are undesirable, and that's my word, undesirable, and we're going to concentrate on stopping more people from coming in illegally. To me, that makes sense. Deal with that. Shut off the flow of illegal immigration. Figure out, you know, how we've dealt with the people who've been causing problems, and then see where you are. And the truth is, it's going to take a couple years to do that. And then we can have I think maybe a more measured discussion about what do you do with the the rest of the people who are now in in this country still illegally? Do you need I, I would never I think be in favor of a pathway to citizenship, but you, you could you figure out some way of of maybe like uh, allowing some form of residency. But you know, um I think and if I think if I were to advise President-elect Trump, not that he's necessarily calling me asking for my opinion on things, I mean, I, I think I think Paul Ryan is giving him the out. Paul Ryan is saying, all right, look, we're, we're not going to do the deportation task forces. Congress is willing to work with you on a number of these things. Let's concentrate on the biggest part of the problem, and then we'll just deal with some of the rest of this stuff down the road. 852, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next... Big story number two, does anybody but the media care? Stick around. 852, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two, the media. And this is one of the reasons why, if I were to advise people in the mainstream media who just like President-elect Trump, people in the mainstream media who put the blinders on, they don't They don't care. They, they see things their way. They don't want to have input. Um, there is one issue that the American people, as a general rule, do not care about, and yet the media continues to beat the drum, and that is the release of Donald Trump's tax returns. At the press conference he held a couple days ago, you get a reporter that says, you know, why aren't you going to release your your tax returns? And and he says, nobody cares about my tax returns. They they don't. And then he says, I, I can't release them because I'm under audit. Now that's, you know, he could release them if he wanted, but but this drumbeat that is still out there about the tax returns, there's a big op-ed piece in today's New York Times, why Americans care about Trump's tax returns. No, no, no. And it goes on to talk about without these returns, Americans cannot know whether he's using the presidency to enrich himself you know, and, and his family. And it's this long piece. And then there's some like online survey that someplace does that says, oh, people, people have to, they want to know about the tax returns. People do not care about the issue of the tax returns. I, and I guess I, this is one of these things where I appreciate that every president, going back to Richard Nixon, has released their tax returns. Do I think it is a matter of good public policy for 
a president to release the tax returns either in full or in some meaningful fashion, even if you want to edit some stuff out. Yeah, I think it would be good policy. Don't have an issue with that at all. But at the same time, this media drumbeat that's out there, and this is ties into the larger point of how so many people have just been unwilling. I, I think they, they don't want to cut cut Trump any sort of breaks at all. And so I understand there's all sorts of things that he does that draws criticism. And a lot of the criticism is and is appropriate in my fa- in my opinion. But but yet there's some of these things you are flogging a dead horse. The whole issue of tax returns came up during the campaign. It was brought up by the media. It was brought up by Hillary Clinton. It was brought up by some of Trump's opponents. And the American people have spoken. It is not a what I would call a voting issue for them. And I understand people can say online polls that they think he should disclose this and all. But the, the media actually, to use Charlie Sykes's phrase, beclowns itself when they keep pushing Trump to release the tax returns. And again, it gives Trump this outlet for he, when he says, hey, look, nobody cares about this but you in the media. And then, of course, the media, you have all these reporters and the op-ed people who then get their backs up and say, oh, no, 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 all these people care about it. No, 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 they don't. Do I think it would be a good thing? Yes. Do I think it would be a good public policy? Yes. But this firestorm that the media is now trying, the reporters are trying to, uh, again, redevelop over Trump not releasing his tax returns, you just need to let it go. There are so many things out there that the American public really should care about when it comes to public policy. Would you like to see Donald Trump's tax returns? Yeah, but let's face it. We we know what the guy is. He is what he is. His finances are what his finances are. Nobody cares about the tax returns. Breathe in, breathe out, move on. Coming up in less than eight minutes, our big story of the day, our third big story of the day, Barack Obama, on the way out the door, reverses a policy that's been in effect for 20 years. We'll discuss. Stick around. 859 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. I I tell you, I am just in a a good mood today. I know it's Friday the 13th, but even listening to Goddard's weather forecast there, and January's in Wisconsin, wear on me. I I will be the first to acknowledge it. But, But you look at the forecast... We're through the worst of the cold. There's going to be a January thaw coming up. If you look at the next couple of days, I mean, the forecast through the end of next week has temperatures in many cases into the 40s and all. Now, I understand there's some rain that's there and maybe just a tad of freezing rain, but the brutal cold uh, appears to be lessening again for the next you know week or so. I understand that we're probably going to get another hit of that. Uh, a lot of the country is getting just decimated with this major ice storm that is moving through. And it, of course... People don't like snow. People don't like um, cold, but it's the ice that's really bad because you get the ice storm. That's what it ends up. You know, the roads become impassable. Power lines go down and a big swath of the country. And I don't I do not wish anybody ill. I, I really don't. And I feel really bad for the people in like the plain states and stuff. They're going to get hit by this ice storm. But I'm glad it appears that it is going to miss us. <laughs> so if that sounds selfish, fine. But I mean, you look at the weather forecast and like I say, some rain coming up. Um, but uh, for the next week or so, looks like it's going to be pretty decent. Um, over the break, I'm hearing from a number of people who are saying, well, why Why is it that you think that Donald Trump isn't releasing his tax returns? And I, I think, candidly, I think it's pretty self-evident. My guess is that Trump has paid little or no federal income tax for the last X number of years. Here's a guy who talks about being a you know, multi-billionaire. 
And, and my guess is that because of tax credits and deductions, whatever, my guess is his tax returns show little or no federal income tax being paid, and he doesn't want to be embarrassed by that. That's that's my guess. Now, if he's doing something funny, if he's doing something wrong, if he's doing something illegal, I, I would expect that the IRS would be scrutinizing the returns and considering investigations. My guess is they take when you've got a guy like Donald Trump over the years, they probably take a long, hard look at the tax returns and the fact that there does not appear to be any sort of criminal investigation, that the government doesn't have any allegation of, of wrongdoing. I mean, that tells me that, well, you have somebody who just you know, doesn't want some of the information disclosed. So a number of people were emailing me, why do you think he's not? Wouldn't it be simpler if he does? Yeah, it would be simple if he did. Do I think he should? Yeah. My guess is he's probably paid little or no federal income tax over the years and doesn't want to have to necessarily account for that. All right. Our third big story of the day to talk about at the water cooler or the coffee closet, Barack Obama on his way out the door. A week from today, Donald Trump goes from being the president-elect to the president. A week Away from being out the door, Barack Obama changes a policy with Cuba that has been in effect, well, since Bill Clinton put it in effect in 1995, called wet foot, dry foot policy. Let me back up. Ever seen the movie Scarface with Al Pacino, right? Um, I actually lived some of the Scarface thing because the, the Scarface, the movie Scarface is set um, at the end of the Jimmy Carter regime, where you, you had the, the, the Mary Alito boat lift, where essentially Fidel Castro cleared out his jails and sent people to the United States, where they were then you know, distributed across the country. And actually, Fort McCoy was one of the, the places where he had people. Um, I was chasing drug dealers in the early to mid-1980s, and one of the things that we found, and it wasn't— it wasn't exactly like the Scarface thing, but back then, cocaine was exploding uh, around the area, around the, the Milwaukee area, around Wisconsin, around the country. And one of the principal places where cocaine was being brought in was through the cartels from South America that were coming in through South Florida. And South Florida was where you had a lot of the people who Fidel Castro had sent over um, as part of the, the boat lift and all. And a number of those people turned to criminal activity. And a number of the people who turned to criminal activity once they got into this country had contacts um, in Wisconsin, for example, because, like I say, this was one of the relocation points. And, and we went through a period of time where we were busting all these big-time drug rings. It was amazing um, just how many how many people who had come over in the boat lift or or around the time of the boat lift ended up in, in these various drug conspiracies. Now, I mean, it wasn't like the chainsaws and stuff that you see in Scarface, but it, it, was, it was that link. So there's always been th- this tension with having a communist country so very close to our shores. And the idea is, okay, what, what do you do? And there's no question in my mind that Fidel Castro played Jimmy Carter like a fiddle with the, with the boat lift. But this has always been this ongoing battle. So in 1995, Bill Clinton implemented a policy which is called wet foot, dry foot for Cuban refugees. And, and that's, that's not my term. That's what the policy is called. It essentially says that any Cuban who made it to U.S. So- soil, so if for, forget immigration, anybody that makes it to U.S. soil 
becomes can become a re- legal resident. So, I mean, that that's the policy. And the idea is people should feel free to flee the, the tyranny of Castro. And we don't care, you know, who you are. We don't care what you are. We, as long as you get here, you can stay legally. And that's been the policy of this country, uh, again, since 1995. Barack Obama yesterday said that is no longer going to be our policy. And essentially what he said is this new policy, which is going to take effect immediately, is that anybody from Cuba who attempts to enter the U.S. illegally is going to be sent back to Cuba. Now, the exception would be if somebody wants to for has a humanitarian claim. If somebody says, I am being persecuted and I can establish that, they'll, they'll take a look at that. But this automatic idea that you get into this country legally, you know, you, you're able to put a foot on dry land and you are going to be able to stay, that policy, which pretty much only applies to people coming from Cuba, Barack Obama says that's not going to be the case anymore. Now, it's very much up in the air as to what Donald Trump is going to do. A lot of people seem to think that, you know, that's Donald Trump would never support that policy either. But this is a major change. It's 21 years. It's Like I say, it's been in effect for 21 or 22 years. Barack Obama, with one week left in his presidency, is ending this. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. It's our third big story of the day that's very, very talkable, and you can discuss at work. What do you think about the president, President Obama, saying we're changing this policy? Do you think that people who come over to this country from Cuba, if you're able to make it to Key West and step out you know, of the boat, should you be allowed to stay or Mark the tape on this. Is Obama right in saying, nope, we're not going to treat Cuban refugees any different than we would treat anybody else from any other countries? 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next. 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, the policy has been in effect since Bill Clinton in 1995. It's called wet foot, dry foot. That's what the policy is called. It's not my term. It means that if somebody is leaving Cuba, communist country, and they make it to U.S. soil, you get a boat, you end up floating up uh, down in Key West, you make it to U.S. soil, one foot on dry land, dry foot, you get to stay. And that has been the policy, again, since 1995. Barack Obama announces yesterday He's changing that. He is now going to treat Cuba like you would treat any other country. And the idea being, if we catch somebody, you come in from Cuba, you will now be sent back unless, again, you, you can make some cause that you're entitled to you know, humanitarian relief. Donald Trump will be able to decide whether he wants to reinstitute wet foot, dry foot, or whether he's going to follow this. Is Obama right in what he did? 414-799-1620. And I know it's tough to say, is Obama right? But did he get it right this time? Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? You know, I lived most of my adult life in Miami, Florida, and and I think that the policy should be eliminated. I, I think, you know, your characterization of, for the most part, it applies to Cubans. I think it totally applies to Cubans mm-hmm. because it didn't apply to the Haitians. Right. Uh, and, and it smacks of racism. 
Well, I mean, yeah, the the idea I think behind it was the everybody they, everybody is fleeing this communist country. They yearn to be free, and and we want to offer them them freedom. But yeah, there's all sorts of other countries that people were fleeing from who arguably could make a much better case for being able to for being able to stay. Yeah, I think he got. I think he's getting it right. How big a problem? You said you spent most of your time in Miami, or at least a good portion of your life. How big a problem was this down there? Well, I, I, I think it was it was a huge problem, yeah. I think, in terms of the economy, in terms of the, yep. uh, the school systems and, and medical care. And, yep. and, uh, and, and just for information, my, my maternal grandparents were, were uh, both born in Cuba, so I have no axe to grind with the Cuban people. Uh, but but I think I think Barack Obama's getting this one right. Now, thanks to call. I you know I I actually I I agree. This policy, this policy has never made any sense to me from from the beginning. And I admit my my view is sort of colored by again the, the problems we had with the boat lift under Jimmy Carter and some of the problems I, I saw firsthand that that caused based on you know what I was doing at the time. But I mean I I think this is a reasonable type of thing. You know if you can come into this country, and I don't care where you're coming into this country from, if you can come in, whether it's Cuba or somewhere in South America or wherever, and you can make a legitimate case that you're going to be persecuted if you're going to be sent back, okay, fine, take a look at that. But just that this automatic thing that, okay, if you get out of this one country and you can somehow make it to U.S. soil, you're going to be able to stay, I, I, that does not make any sense to me. And, you know, my guess is I don't think that policy is going to make any sense to Donald Trump either. Let's talk to Darren on the east side. Darren, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning. Yeah, I think Barack uh, Obama got this right on, on his policy. And I think it uh, what it more illuminates is just how broken our immigration system is. It just <laughs> There's just so many unfair things. I'm a retired military officer, and I remember calling a congressman, a soldier that served in Iraq. You don't have to be a U.S. citizen to be in the military. You just have to have a green card. He had a conditional green card because he was married, then his wife left him. And he had to renew this every year. And I was like, you know, I just said, I mean, what else does this person have to do to have this right to stay in the country? I mean, he served in the military, and... Uh, Right. And, 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 by, and by contrast, if Fidel Castro decides he's got some undesirables who are sitting in his jail because of whatever things, and he wants to get them out of Cuba, you can put them on a boat and send them to the U.S., and they're yeah. admitted to the U.S., no questions asked. Yeah, it, it, it does. It, 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 doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense the way it's implemented. Yes. No, yeah, thank, so. Thanks to call. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. See? I mean, we can reason together here. But, I mean, in this particular case, I think Barack Obama got it absolutely right. That policy did not make any sense to me when Clinton implemented it in 1995. To the extent it did, it, it was, I think, a, a different time. Now, the reason Obama is doing this, let's be honest, is he's all about normalizing relationships with, with Cuba. And this is a step in that direction. But at the same time, I, that doesn't mean that it's not right. Art in Milwaukee. Art, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, well, this is a rational thing to do. I mean, it's not just Cuba. It's all of Latin American governments were very irritated by the fact that their people would come to the U.S. and be sent back, and uh, Cubans would just put their foot on the soil and be allowed in automatically. Um, but there is the ration. It goes back to LBJ time, by the way. It, the wet foot, dry foot was a modification mm-hmm. of it, um, and the uh, the rationale was to uh, 
lure people. The U.S. would not allow large numbers of Cubans to come in legally. Cubans wanted to be a larger number. U.S. always wanted the legal immigration to be a small number. And then they would have unlimited numbers of people who would risk their lives and Right, on, on leaky rafts and whatever to try to get to, to Florida or wherever, sure. Yeah, so hundreds of people died, you know, very dangerous, uh, but it made great TV in Miami about <laughs> all these refugees fleeing Cuba, how terrible it must be, when they're basically economic immigrants, more or less, uh, with, a, you know, rare exceptions. And so it's, it's rational, it's uh, all of Latin America been demanding this, including Cuba, but not just Cuba. Do you think Trump is? Do you think Trump's going to follow up on this, or do you think he will revert to again the wet foot, dry foot policy? Oh, he's against uh, yeah. immigration in general. He's against illegal immigration. This is encouraging illegal immigration. The old policy. No, thanks. I I, I agree with you completely. And then this is one where. It, to me, this is not a political thing, and I understand that there's some folks who say, oh, you know, okay, you're, you know, you're supporting Barack Obama. Well, here's the way this program works. When politicians, whether they're liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat, when politicians get it right, at least in my opinion, I'm going to say I think they've gotten it right. And in this particular situation, I think Barack Obama, in this case, I think he's gotten it absolutely right. I think Donald Trump is going to agree with what he's done. I doubt that you're going to see a reversal of this. This is something that's been coming for a long time. Coming up in just a few minutes, all right, San Diego is losing its football team. The Chargers are heading to Los Angeles. Would we have been better off if the Bucks had gone the route of the Chargers? Stick around. 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Somebody off the air says, Charlie Sykes leaves, and you got this guy on the radio saying Barack Obama actually got it right. Yeah, Barack Obama actually did get it right. And and, and by the way, this is something that George Bush should have done, and it's something that I think Donald Trump would have done. And, and yes, yes, the fact that Barack Obama did it doesn't necessarily mean that it's automatically got to be wrong. <laughs> it's just, it's, it is, it's kind of that knee-jerk sort of thing, you know? It's But yes... This was a bad policy, this wet foot, dry foot policy that we've had in place for the last couple decades. It was bad. It didn't make any sense. Conservatives shouldn't have liked it. Liberals shouldn't have liked it. And and yes, in this case, he's gotten it wrong. Now, now, um, Donald Trump, somebody should really take the guy's cell phone away from him. I mean, again, I actually think he's had a pretty good week. I think he handed the mainstream media its lunch collectively at this press conference. And I I think he's actually done a number of very, very good things since he became the president-elect. I'm I'm very – that the cabinet – the cabinet selections are moving through pretty well. Um, some of the ones that were supposed to be incredibly controversial, like Jeff Sessions, I think they're going to sail through. Now, I'm not saying there's not going to be a lot of Democrats that vote against them, but th- this this idea that we're going to put up this kind of organized effort, we're going to rally the public, and there's going to be this huge outrage, that that's not developing. So he's had a really, really good week, which is why 6 a.m. this morning, you have Donald Trump taking to his Twitter account again for Lord knows what reasons. Okay, there's a story that they're going to be investigating James Comey for whether, you know, he was violating ethics rules by some of the stuff he did. We'll talk about that a little later. But, you know, so so Trump, he goes on, this is the tweet. What are Hillary Clinton's people complaining about with respect to the FBI? Based on the information they had, she never should have been allowed to run. Guilty as hell. They were very nice to her. She lost because she campaigned in the wrong states. No enthusiasm. Hmm. Guilty as hell. <laughs> you know, 
my advice again, were the president-elect to be listening, is, you know, you won. You, you, you won. Let this kind of stuff go. Focus on what you are going to be doing when you take the office a week from today. Don't don't obsess about stuff that doesn't matter at this point in time and stay off the Twitter. It's 9:35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Table your tailgate plans and let us treat you with the WTMJ Run the Table Tailgate. That's right. We're giving away free food for your tailgate throughout the playoffs as the Packers run the table. One lucky listener even gets their food delivered by Gene Miller before the game on Sunday. How about that? Um, Listen live all day to WTMJ for your chance to win. We're going to have one more to give away this morning before noon. WTMJ's Run the Table Tailgate, courtesy of Bunzel's Old Fashioned Meat Market and Catering, and sponsored by Transitions. And if you're looking for any more of a reason to sort of support the Packers and have them win in Dallas, um, my understanding is that this promotion goes on as long as the Packers are in the playoffs. Uh, The whole idea being run the table. And again, sometime between now and noon, we'll be giving you a chance to win your own, um, essentially, free tailgate. So won't that be fun? All right. uh, The other... Part of the other national news, and we've been kind of national news heavy for the first hour, but there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, The Justice Department Inspector General is going to be investigating FBI Director James Comey for the things he did before the election. Now, let's review the bidding really quickly. If you will recall, a couple months before the election, James Comey took the relatively unprecedented step of having a, a making a public statement where he outlined the nature of the investigation into the Hillary Clinton email scandal investigation whatever you know her use of again the the private servers and things like that so he went through all the details and then after going through the details he said well, I, I don't think there's any reasonable prosecutor which would have issued charges, and we are recommending that there be no charges. Now, this this is unprecedented because the rule is you do not comment on pending in investigations. When when I started to work for the U.S. Attorney's Office, that was that was one of the big things. The thing was the the idea was the Justice Department, the justice system, the prosecutors speak through the charges that are returned. So in other words, you know, if you've got an investigation and the investigation leads to criminal charges, what happens is you take the matter to the grand jury, the grand jury then issues the charges, and, and that's that's how the prosecutors speak. That's one of the reasons why I have always cringed over the years when, and former District Attorney E. Michael McCann was, was famous for this, he would he would hold these lengthy press conferences. He'd be conducting an investigation, and he'd lay out all this evidence and without bringing charges and say, but we're not bringing charges. Well, that I always felt that that was, that was wrong. If you believe somebody has done something wrong, well, then you issue the criminal charges, and you go and you— you have the court system work. You don't come out and say, well, this is all the evidence we've had, we have, but this is why we're not going to bring the charges. So— I mean, Comey candidly pretty much violated every 
standard that I ever heard about from the Department of Justice when he has this press conference and then lays out all this information, but then draws the conclusion that we don't think there's a reasonable basis for a prosecution. Well, that was incredibly controversial, and a number of Republicans were going absolutely ballistic. What do you mean? Why are you doing this? Well, then... All right, the other shoe drops when, what, 10 days, two weeks before the election, Comey then has another press conference where he says, oh, we now have this newly discovered evidence that we're going to be taking a look at, and that's going to cause us to maybe reassess our our conclusion. And, of course, then everybody on the left goes absolutely ballistic about this making again the argument, well, he's trying to influence the election. Now, at the time, the point I made about this was, given the fact that he had made what I consider to be extraordinary public statements, clearing her in the first place, I I felt that, you know, under his continuing duty to disclose, I I thought he did have an obligation to say, okay, if there's new evidence that's out there and we're now, um, you know, reopening the investigation, I felt he had a duty to disclose that. But the, and of course, Now you look at what the new evidence was, and it's kind of questionable as to why he thought he had to do that. But the bottom line is, I mean, you you have a situation where where you've got the two wrongs. I don't think Comey should have had that initial press conference in the first place clearing Hillary Clinton. I don't think he should have said anything about it. If there was a basis to issue charges, you issue charges. If there's not a basis to issue charges, fine. You close the case. you, you, You move on. But you, it's not your role as the director of the FBI or the attorney general of the United States or whatever, It's not, or a U.S. attorney sitting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin or whatever, it's not your role to go to the public and talk about a potential criminal investigation and your conclusion. Your role is to decide whether or not there's evidence to believe a crime has been committed, and if there is, to bring charges and to bring the matter into court. How it's Comey once Comey decided to do that, then I think he set himself down this path of, okay, now I, I've said, you know, there's nothing to see here. Now maybe there is something. And so this Justice Department Inspector General is going to be investigating, you know, Comey's actions. And you know what? I mean, re- regardless of, again, whether you're Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, in my opinion, Comey screwed up big time. He screwed up when he decided to have that initial statement clearing Hillary Clinton, he should have just kept his mouth shut. That was, I think, I think that was a violation of Justice Department protocol. I don't think he should have done that. And then, correspondingly, once he did that, I, I understand then why he felt he had an obligation to say, well, now we're, we're looking at new stuff. But if he hadn't have had that press conference in the first place, he would have never been in that situation. So um, just... The Justice Department Inspector General investigating his actions. Comey managed to get himself in a situation where Republicans were mad at him, Democrats were mad at him, and if he had just followed protocols in the first place, he wouldn't have had this problem. So where this all leads, I don't know. Donald Trump has not committed to keeping Comey on, but he should have kept his mouth front uh, shut in the beginning, and I mentioned that when he first did this. I thought that press conference, the first one he held, was extraordinary, and I don't mean that in a good way, and that set him down this path that created all the trouble. But anyhow, now he's going to be under investigation. I would not be surprised if a year from now, somehow or another, James Comey is not the director of the FBI, and if that's the case, he's brought a lot of this on himself. It is 942 Could Milwaukee or should Milwaukee have become San Diego? Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You hear him every game day, and his voice has become synonymous with Packers football for an entire generation of fans. But what was it that led him to Lambeau almost two decades ago? Wayne Larrabee steps outside the broadcast booth to join Packers one-on-one with Greg Matzik, and you can hear it Sunday at noon, sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, New Generation RV, and Sound Decisions Racine. By popular demand, one of the things we've been hearing about for the last couple weeks is, are you going to podcast the show? And the answer is yes. The podcasts are now available. You can download them. Go to WTMJ.com. Click on the Jeff Wagner Show page. We post all the different podcasts. You can also subscribe, so you're automatically notified when they come out. Um, It's actually, this is part of really the first step in what's this larger podcast project that I know our management's been working on is going to be rolled out. But one of the centerpieces is going to be the podcast of this broadcast. But um, we wanted to get that up first. All right. San Diego, the San Diego Chargers, the football team, you know, has been playing. They've been playing in their current stadium since 1967. The San Diego Chargers go back to the old American Football League, the AFL. So um, they have been in San Diego since their inception. Again, back when you had the NFL and you had the AFL. They've been playing in Qualcomm Stadium since 1967. They have been arguing we need a new stadium. And for the last several years, there has been this whole controversy about this. They've been trying to get a portion of public funding for the stadium. Here's the way that the math kind of works out on this. They estimate that the new stadium to play football would cost $1.2 billion. The NFL said it would kick in $300 million. Um, naming rights would bring in another... They estimate like 250 to 300 million, let's say 300 million. So that leaves roughly $600 million that people would have to come up with. The family that owns the Chargers, the Spanos family, their net worth is $2.4 billion. $2.4 billion. So, look, I, I understand 600 to $650 million is a lot of money. But at the same time, when you're worth $2.4 billion, you know, you, you, you can afford this. So the, the family has been trying to get public financing for the, the stadium. And they said, hey, we'll put in another $300 million, but they've been unable to get the voters of San Diego to go along with coming up with whatever the balance would be to, to build the stadium. And again, you know, the naming rights would be an offset, but one referendum after another has been shot down. So you've got this stadium, 19, built 1967. Finally, yesterday, the Chargers announced, all right, we, we're, we're done with this. We've tried to get this pushed through. The voters keep saying, no, we are moving. There's a new complex that is being built in Los Angeles. The St. Louis Rams moved there. They're playing, you know, in the L.A. Coliseum this year. This new stadium is going to be built. It's going to be kind of like what they have in New York, where you've got the New York Giants and the New York Jets that share this huge stadium. Um, The idea is now that the Rams, St. Louis Rams, now L.A. Rams, and the San Diego, soon I guess to be L.A. Chargers, are going to share this new stadium that's being built all because voters of San Diego refuse to go along with this. So if you look at the sports pages all across the country today, you have all these fans in San Diego who are extremely upset. They are unhappy. They are mad at the fact that you have these these billionaire owners who were reaching out to the public 
to try to ask the public to build a new stadium when, in fact, they could probably do it with – now, I'm not arguing that $600 million is, is pocket change, but that they could certainly have afforded to do it if they wanted to stay. So as a result, San Diego is now going to lose this football team that they've had since the, what, 1960s, early 1960s. I was thinking about this story because there is a parallel to Milwaukee. A couple years ago, we we were going through this same debate. You have billionaire owners of the Milwaukee Bucks who were offering to put up half of the cost of building the stadium, maybe a little bit more, but they were looking for a public financing component as well, in this case, $250 million. If If the public around here, if we hadn't have gone along with this, there is no question in my mind that, you know, the story that we're reading today about the San Diego Chargers would have been a story that we were reading about the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks would have been moving somewhere were it not for this public financing component. Voters in San Diego and government in San Diego consistently said no to this. Now, I bring this up because there's a number of columns and stories that are out today about people actually commending the voters and columnists, commending the voters in San Diego for doing this, making the point that, you know what, these stadiums don't pay for themselves. You've got the billionaires, you know, who are paying millionaire players, all those arguments that we heard. All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Did politicians and voters in San Diego make a mistake? Should they have come up with the money to keep the chargers? And from the perspective of a local angle, it's now that we know that there is a new arena that is being built in downtown Milwaukee. Would we here have been better off if we went the San Diego route and decided we're going to let the bucks go? 414-799-1620-952, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I mean, I'm telling you, when I saw these stories, Chargers leaving San Diego, this could have been the headlines that we were having in Milwaukee a year or two ago because the they're leaving because you got billionaire owners who could have afforded to finance all or at least a portion of the stadium. They chose not to finance as much as they, they, they chose not to do that. And so now they're leaving. I kept thinking there's parallels between you know, San Diego and the Bucks. Did we do the right thing? Let's talk to Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Good Hi, morning. Scott. Great topic. This has been a topic of conversation between my wife and I. I know I'm going to get in trouble with you from this because yeah. I know you're a big downtown person. And But, you know, I just – I'm a fiscal conservative, and every day small businesses exist. Mm-hmm. Some days they do. Some days they don't. You know, or even a large Fortune 500 company, some go bankrupt, some don't. And we're always very tentative about, you know, government getting in or what have you. And I just feel like as much as I would love to have the boxes of venue in Milwaukee, you know, taking our specific mm-hmm. example, right. if the arena does not pay for itself, then maybe the box should have gone. And I know that's tough. Because do, I know do you buy the argument that the the economic benefits of building the, the new building, arena, football stadium, whatever, it's going to bring in so much money that it will essentially pay for itself? Yeah, you know, that's what I would want it to. And, and that's a hard thing because yeah. my profession doesn't take me downtown. And, you know, a lot of my friends are the attorneys and accountants downtown and stuff. And they say, but, Scott, you don't see – you know, we need this type of thing downtown. And I'm saying, yes, 
but how much do you need it? And if this was such a great investment, wouldn't the investors, if you will, have done this regardless? Or or wouldn't the owner, right? Or wouldn't the owners have done it? No, thanks for the call. I mean, you know, because this is one of the arguments that are out there. Matter of fact, the story I'm looking at in the, I'm looking at a series of stories in USA Today, but, you know, a number of columnists are saying, well, San Diego did the right thing by letting, that is, San Diego did the right thing by letting them go because these stadiums never end up paying for themselves. But at the same time, I mean, would, would you have wanted to be waking up a year or two ago with a headline saying, Bucks leaving Milwaukee? Let's talk to um, Mark in Brookfield. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, I wondered if any of the San Diego players, past or current, offered to put up some money to help. My idea is, like, you know, as a golfer, tournament player clubs. The PGA Tour operates a number of courses that mm-hmm. they run for profit and to hold their own tournaments on. And the, why wouldn't, uh, say, members of the Packers, or it's their product. Do they have faith in it? Do they want to invest in it hmm. and reap the rewards or benefits? Hmm. Basketball players investing in basketball put some of their money back into the product. Well, you know, the, um, the NFL was going to apparently willing to contribute. Like, like, let's say the cost of the stadium is going to be $1.2 billion, That's which is amazing to me. The NFL was going to pay for a quarter of that, so they were going to put some money in. But still, the owners apparently... The owners said, you know, we're not going to kick in all this dough, which makes me wonder, actually, which makes me wonder whether the owners really wanted to stay in San Diego anyways or whether they wanted to, to go up to the L.A. market. Paul in Reedsville. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, do you know that the Chargers really aren't moving to L.A.? They're kind of returning to L.A. because that's where they started their inaugural season back in 1960. Right, back in, oh, so you go back to 60. Okay, got it. All right. so, so, so this is the return. So, so we, shouldn't look, we shouldn't look at them as bailing on L.A. They're actually going back to where they were. <laughs> I, I doubt too many people in San Diego are feeling that way this morning, my friend. <laughs> well, I think the Chargers have don't seem like they're a real big deal in San Diego anymore anyway. No. So it's, I think it's probably a, a win-win situation for all the above. Yeah, their attendance... The Right, their attendance has has sucked for for years. To be brutally exactly. honest about it, yeah. My whole point: they're yeah. just not that big a deal in San Diego anymore. And uh, I guess you know, it's sometimes you know you got to go find the greener pastures, and maybe LA is a greener pasture for them now. And uh, you know, the new facility, maybe it'll be a win-win-win situation for everybody in San Diego. Pretty much going to say good riddance. So, well, you know what's maybe. interesting to me, Paul, too, is though you know we've gone how long with L.A. not having a football team? You know, the second largest media market in the country not having a football team. Now, all of a sudden, is perhaps as soon as next year, they're going to have two football teams. And I guess I'm sitting here wondering, can they support two football teams after all these years of not having any? Uh, that's a mighty big area. I think they can. Okay, got it. Well, right. I know. I. I mean, I guess that's. I guess that's what some of the questions here are going to be. In any event, when you read this story about San Diego losing the Chargers, this could have been Milwaukee. And I do throw this out and say, how would you have felt if a year ago, two years ago, that had been the headlines, Bucks leaving for wherever, because the public funding portion of the project gets turned down? 959, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, it's Dealer's Choice, my most talkable story of the day. Stick around.